Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Is it ever right to end someone's life early? If so, under what conditions? In this episode, we turn to the Bible to sort out a Christian position on euthanasia. Drawing on the inherent dignity God has invested in each person by making us in his image, as well as the fact that God claims sovereignty over life and death, we conclude that physician-assisted suicide is a sin. In difficult cases of extreme and continuous suffering, Christians, thankfully, have pioneered palliative care in the hospice movement as a compassionate alternative to euthanasia. Here's our discussion on this important subject in part three of our killing series. Here now is Offscript episode 36, Killing the Suffering, a Christian view of euthanasia. Welcome, everyone. Today, we're talking about an end-of-life subject in our series on killing. And we're getting into the subject of euthanasia, which comes from two Greek words, the word for good, which is the prefix EU, and then thanatos, which means death. And the idea is that you have a good death. Now, this is... So whereas... Abortion focuses on the beginning of life, and suicide focuses on somebody making a decision to end their own life. This topic, euthanasia, is about making a decision to end your own life at the end of life. So this is really related, but on the opposite end of the spectrum. And what we'd like to do is, as usual, lay out any biblical references that are available for us to think with and then really try to wrestle the issue down as far as what's proper, what's improper from a Christian perspective. So where should we get started? First of all, uh, the position that you are going to take on euthanasia is going to most often be a reflection of your worldview um, and the way you look at a lot of things, whether uh, you believe in God or know God, what you think about the value of human life, whether we are um, animals or if we are created in the image of God, and then also your belief about death and the afterlife and what is on the other side of death. I think from a humanist perspective or a secular pers perspective, there's a lot of good arguments for euthanasia. It does seem to be a you know a very merciful thing in, in certain situations and you know they make the analogy of if there's a you know, horse that broke his leg and it's irreparable damage which it often is in in the cases of horses that get seriously injured that you know the humane thing to do is to shoot them which happens you know pretty often i think there was there's over a dozen you know mercy killings of of, of horses at the saratoga racetrack this year so much so that a group got involved about you know saying that horse racing is inhumane. So that's the analogy that can be used, but there's others that, you know, make a lot of sense from, from a human perspective. And Rose, I think you're right. It does come down to your worldview. But if you are, if you are of, of, of the secular persuasion, the arguments include, you know, the moral right to die with dignity, to die to, you know, the self-determination of, of being able to pass on the way that you want to pass on. The act of mercy to the person suffering, that's the sort of the horse analogy. It also relieves a burden from the family, you know, both financially and emotionally 
to a degree. Uh, you could also argue that with that relief comes a certain measure of guilt, but we can get into that later. The, the more macro uh, relief to society at large, I mean, as populations age, costs increase to take care of them. That argument scares me a bit. Sounds <laughs> very utilitarian. Yeah, it's a little, uh, I mean, in, in other cultures, you know, Japanese culture, Chinese culture, they revere the elderly and there's great respect there. Um, so from a humanist perspective, I don't know that I would agree with that. Sounds to me like, if I could interrupt here, it sounds to me that it's a question of sovereignty. Who's sovereign? Mm. If you are the one who is in charge of your life and completely the authority over, I mean, something as basic as dying or living, then of course you would have the right to use physician-assisted suicide or ask somebody else to put you out of your misery. But if you recognize God as sovereign, to, to whatever degree you might mean that, then it's really all of life is contingent on him and really permission from him as to what rights we individually have. In Norman Geisler's book, Christian Ethics, Options and Issues, he points out that in Deuteronomy, um, Moses was told by God, I put to death and I bring to life, and no one can deliver out of my hand. That's a verse directly related to God's sovereignty and, and his position as the creator. Uh, Geisler goes on to write, when Pharaoh challenged God's sovereignty, saying, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He soon found out when God took the life of all of Egypt's firstborn sons, including Pharaoh's. This is in Exodus 11, 4-7. Geisler writes, God alone is sovereign over life, and since human life is in his image, he has placed a social sanction upon it. God alone created human life, and God alone has the right to take an innocent life. Euthanasia is an attempt to preempt God of his sovereign right over human life. So again, this comes back to the worldview of, you know, where are you aligned? Uh, I think a lot of issues we discuss in this podcast sort of fall into that rather large category, but this one in particular, it, it comes down to, you know, do you believe that God created life? Right. And in addition to that, we could bring in Genesis theology, creation theology, and say that we are made in the image of God. So in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we read about, we, we read about how God made the first humans, and he, uh, he bestows upon us a dignity. And that dignity is all wrapped up in his own image, but specifically ruling over the world and it specifies the different animals and spheres where humans have authority what's interesting there is that he doesn't say and i don't know if there's any scripture that says that we have the right to take our own life or that we have some sort of like authority over ourselves as you go throughout the bible there are plenty of people who do who do overstep the bounds that god has given but I'm not aware of any place where it says that, say, for example, I put you, I brought you into the world so I could take you out of the world, like from a father to a son or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's not something you find from a biblical point of view. So just summarizing a bit, number one, 
God has the right to give life and take life because he's the creator and he has sovereignty over life. Two, humans have inherent dignity and value and that is going to separate us out from the animal analogy where your dog gets old and is in a lot of pain so you bring your dog to the vet and, and the dog gets put to sleep, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that, that is, I, I believe, merciful and just for animals. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's a fair treatment of animals, but humans are not animals. We are made in the image of God. I mean, obviously, we have a lot in common with the animals, <laughs> but we have this extra image of God aspect mm-hmm. to us. And as a result of that, taking another human life is a big deal. Well, from the Christian perspective, of course, we believe God is the creator of everyone. But then as believers, we also believe God is our Lord. And it's not that just that he's created our bodies, but that our bodies are for him. In Romans 14, um, Paul says, not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So everything, life and death, and you know the point at which we die is all to be done for the glory of God. Let's run through a hypothetical scenario where you have somebody that is suffering from a chronic disease, let's say an elderly person, and they know that they're not long for this world. They're, they're, they're diagnosed with a certain window of time. Maybe they have a year. Let's say they have some sort of form of cancer that is inevitably going to, to kill them. And they're in constant agony, physical pain. Not only that, there's no hope of any kind of turnaround for their condition. And in all this pain, they turn to you with tears in their eyes and they say, you know, can you, can you help me to fall asleep and not wake up? As a Christian, how do we respond to that kind of a scenario? I mean, the Bible does teach that God is sovereign over life. It does teach that this person is in the image of God, but it also teaches that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, and this person's in suffering and pain. So what do you what do you say? You have to think about their eternity at that point, and the greatest compassion you can have on someone is to give them the gospel and think about their ultimate eternity and their ultimate end. It's um, the naturalistic perspective to say the grave is the end. We know um, that the grave is not the end. And there, you know, there's a variety of afterlifes, but the greatest compassion is to give them hope of eternal life with Christ. And it's, I mean, it's difficult to say, and it's not an ideal situation at all for someone to be in extreme pain. But we, as Christians, do have to come at it with a Christian perspective that the grave is not the end. So what if that person already does believe? Sticky situation. I mean, I think we, uh, at that point, should have the perspective um, that our lives belong to God, that our times are in His hands, that in suffering, we still aim to glorify God. I don't have any problem with using any sort of palliative care to uh, relieve the pain. Like, I think that's totally fine. I don't think we have to go through everything naturally. I do think we can use medical advances to make our last days as comfortable as possible, but... 
I do think that we have to take the standpoint of God as as our master and that he um, controls our our birth and our death and everything in between um, and surrender that to him and as as much as we possibly can to glorify him in our suffering. In Proverbs 31, 6, it says, Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. And so I, I, I think... There is kind of like a biblical precedent for pain amelioration. I mean, the Bible very clearly condemns intoxication mm. in the Old and the New Testaments. And yet it also talks about, you know, this person that's in this kind of condition. It's like, you know, you want, you want to relieve, relieve the pain. It's like mm-hmm. they didn't have our narcotics, our morphine drips and whatever else that is used for this kind of pain relief, but they had booze. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they used it to some, you know, with an, with, I, obviously with, with, within certain limits there, but um, it's, it certainly is interesting that we have that verse in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of suffering, I mean, this is very easy for me to say because I'm not in chronic agony, <laughs> but I think there are records in the Bible that show that suffering can from a euthanasia point of view, pro-euthanasia point of view, suffering is something to be avoided at all costs. It's something that's almost evil. But in the Bible, we see a lot of records where suffering led to great revelation and, and growth. And I mean, Paul suffered his entire life and you could argue that he was one of the most sort of enlightened Christians in terms of absolutely doing God's will, no matter what he you know he died three times or he was you know and he was whipped with 40 lashes and he's been in the deep and you know that's a lifetime of suffering but he is one he's held up as an example of one of the strongest christians in the new testament and indeed the whole bible whether that's analogous to somebody who's you know suffering on a hospital bed uh, i don't have any experience with that but the idea that i'm driving at is that i don't think all suffering is to be regarded as something to be avoided at all costs i think we do have trials and tribulations and whether it's physical or emotional suffering these are things that god can take and use to make you stronger and to to reveal parts of himself to you that would not otherwise uh, be known i really appreciate what you what you said dan because in our culture we're taught that happiness is the goal. I mean, how many times have you watched a TV show that said, I don't care, I just want you to be happy. And then they do something morally questionable in the process. I want you to find what you're looking for. (laughs) And then, whereas happiness is the goal, the the anti-goal, the uh, what is to be avoided is any kind of suffering and pain. I imagine a lot of Americans use the no harm principle as their quintessential ethical guiding light where just like so long as it doesn't cause any harm to anyone, it's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Now that's obviously not a Christian perspective, but it is something that's just in the air we breathe from how people write newspaper articles to the weather forecasters. And my point is, that's not really ultimate. What's ultimate from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, from a Jesus perspective is doing the will of the Father who is in heaven, is bringing glory to him, and recognizing his role, his sovereignty, his position over us and relishing that, not like in a subservient kind of way, but in a glad way that he has set things up and, and we respond to that. So, 
suffering is not the the ultimate evil no matter what i mean you think about i mean this is a kind of a trite example but like going to the gym if you exercise that involves suffering i mean it hurts right <laughs> but then you know no pain no gain right so you get better mm-hmm. or you could think of the examples of times when people go through suffering maybe with a wayward teenage child and they love that child through the process while not compromising their own uh, morality and then on the other side the child comes back later on and you know if the parent didn't go through that suffering and just like wrote the kid off the, the, the happy ending wouldn't be there. So, I mean, there are plenty of examples we can all think of of suffering. The problem when it comes to euthanasia and the, and the specific hypothetical I brought up is that the suffering is not likely to ever end and it's not likely to accomplish anything good. I would disagree you know I mean? with that. In the euthanasia context, by deciding to end your own life and going through with it, you're depriving God of a witness that you could be of miraculous healing that could occur if if somebody is terminally ill and they and they are and they do not want to die they they persevere even though they know it's chronic and they will most likely die but they are praying to god they are gracious when people visit them they say that i have something to look forward to i have paradise i have i have God and the Bible is my foundation and my bedrock, and I'm waiting for His return for for Jesus Christ's return, the hope of the glory. That is such a witness, a powerful witness to people that can say, "Look at this person who is chronically ill and will die probably within the year." And what are they doing? They're on their deathbed. They're praising God. That is such a powerful testament. And by succumbing to thoughts of euthanasia and going through with it. And again, this is very easy for me to say because I'm not in this position, but mm-hmm. but you're sort of depriving God of the opportunity to work in you in that situation and be a testament to to other people. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, I mean, if, if you do go through great suffering, that will be, be an incredible legacy, an incredible way that you were remembered. Whatever happened to you earlier in your life, if you... Um, went out glorifying God with your every breath. People will remember you. People will be challenged by your example. Yeah. I think of Jesus and how he went through suffering. And it is the case that with the suffering of Jesus, he was atoning for the sins of the world. But in addition to that, he was also providing an an example that we, when we go through suffering, can walk in his steps. And Mm -hmm. it's a heroic example. And I think that's what you're talking about here. Someone that holds their mind together in god's grace with the hope of the coming resurrection and kingdom of god that kind of a person is able to speak with a kind of authority and credibility that those of us whose lives are not full of suffering don't we don't have that same advantage in a sense so yeah i mean i think that's a that's a really good comeback i appreciate that yeah um, in First Peter 4, Peter writes, To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. We will share the sufferings of Christ. And like we've been pre-warned. We've been told to count the cost, to take up our cross daily and all of that. Um, you know, at the end of our life, death can be a very difficult thing, and the pain that's associated with that, an incredibly difficult thing. But in, in a way, that really is the sufferings of Christ. Christ is no stranger to an excruciating death. And yes, it was working the salvation for the world, but we do have the opportunity to share in his sufferings in that way um, and and to honor that legacy of going through it boldly and with the hope of paradise that we have beyond. I recently heard the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who as a teenager, 
enjoyed riding horses and hiking and tennis, very active lifestyle. And in 1967, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and misjudged the shallowness of the water and broke her neck. As a result, she became a quadriplegic. She was paralyzed from her shoulders down. Now, what I've heard is that when this happened, she was so depressed and so distraught of having lost out on a life of activity and not being able to move anymore, that she did seek an assisted suicide. And of course, as being a teenager, like people did not indulge her in that, you know, because the, and this is also from 1967 when this happened. So there would have been much less acceptance of this kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. Then later on, she, her whole, her whole life changed. She learned how to paint uh, using a brush between her, between her teeth and she ended up getting married and having kids and had this incredible influence on other people yeah i'm very familiar with her we heard um her show johnny and friends a lot on the radio growing up there was also like a really old movie that was made and i i was pretty young when i saw it and i think the part that i remember the most is um the depression immediately and yeah the suicidal um thoughts that she had right after the accident but in the end, her legacy is one really of overcoming by the power of God and finding reason for life again through the gospel and through sharing that with other people. She has um, a lot of ministry. I mean, she ministers to everyone, but particularly um, to people who are uh, disabled or wheelchair bound. Um, there is a, a very strong message that your life is just as valuable. You are still created in the image of God. You can live fully, if not more fully, um, by the story of God overcoming and giving you joy in your life despite the tribulation. Turns out she's written something like 40 books and even recorded musical albums. And, and this is in addition to the, the movie about her life. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really quite a powerful story of s- some tragedy striking somebody and then God being able to work through the tragedy to bring good out of it. But the point that I'm more focused on here with this this conversation about euthanasia is that she probably would have done it if it would have been available. Mm. And what would what would we have lost out right. if that had happened? Right. So my point earlier is that by going through with a decision like that, you're depriving God of that opportunity to work in your life and to bring other people to Christ and to just help other people. I mean, I'm on our website right now, and um, as Rose mentioned, you know, her her ministry is far reaching, and how many people has she helped that have? you know, these really debilitating conditions and disabilities. And if euthanasia was sort of socially accepted back then, how many people would have missed out on this, you know, amazing testament to what God can do no matter the circumstance? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also important to recognize that as Christians, we're not advocating a lack of compassion for those who are going through pain and suffering. In fact, the entire hospice movement was brought about by Christians seeking to solve this issue of recognize the dignity of life on the one hand that we, it's not ours to take. And on the other hand, this person is going through some serious physical agony. What are we going to do about it? And hospice has grown so much over the last decades so that it is, it is pretty much standard today that once the hospital says, all right, we've done everything we can, now hospice is available, whether in home care or in a facility, mm-hmm. 
And the point of the hospice is to make somebody comfortable. And I know that's almost like a cliche, oh, we're just going to make somebody comfortable. But it's not a cliche if you're in serious physical pain. Mm. And uh, I, I know a few hospice workers that they are just some of the most incredible people, you know, really feel called to this. And they, they genuinely consider it a ministry. I mean, it's work and they get paid for it, but it is a ministry. You're, you're sitting with people. You're listening to people tell about their lives. A lot of folks, sadly, don't have any family to come visit them, even in their last days, and are strange for various reasons. And, I mean, this, this ministry is really a Christian attempt to elevate humans above animals, whereas an animal, you just give the animal the injection and the animal dies and it's like all right the animal is put to sleep with the human it's like no we're, we're going to not necessarily prolong your life artificially but allow you to die as peacefully as possible it's a real awesome service christians should be proud of you know, that mm-hmm. we, we had a hand in this. I mean, it, the roots of it go back to the Middle Ages with the Catholic Church, but mm-hmm. uh, the modern movement is really uh, over the last century. Um, I was watching a panel discussion with some European leaders um, from the Forum of Christian Leaders, um, and there was a Dutchman, Hank Reitzema, who uh, was discussing this and saying that, you know, the Christians can seem a little bit um, lacking in compassion. We come in with our standards and our principles, and we can seem a little unbending to you know a world that's looking for compassion. And he says you do have to make um, your compassion evident because the world only cares how much you know when you let them know how much you care. And that that has to be. I mean, we should care more um, because we should love people with the compassion of God and the and the love of God. Um, so we have to come at this issue with great compassion. And it's awesome that. There's, um, you know, Christian founding um, in the roots of hospice, but that needs to be like all throughout while we're talking standards and while we're talking um, our beliefs and we're discussing the facts, our compassion has to be evident. Peter Sanders, who is involved with the Christian Medical Fellowship, which is an organization that equips Christian doctors and nurses to be able to stand up for their own beliefs in their in the medical context. They have over 4,000 doctors in the UK and Anyhow, Peter, Peter Saunders writes, with the patient dying in pain, it may seem that we have only two equally undesirable alternatives to choose from, either living hell or the euthanasia needle. In reality, there is a third way, the way of the cross. It calls us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus in giving our whole selves to the service of others. This will involve expending our time, money, and energy to find compassionate solutions to human suffering and has found practical shape historically in the hospice movement and good palliative care, pioneered in large part by Christian doctors. So, I mean, on the one hand, you do have that physical providing the the painkiller. And then the other is the uh, spiritual side of understanding that suffering really does give you a megaphone to speak into uh the big questions of life and to be an example and to be a powerful witness so i really appreciated that well sean a moment ago you mentioned uh the artificial prolonging of life Uh, i think that brings us to something we have to discuss a little bit Mm -hmm. which is um there are different types of euthanasia one that norman geisler 
actually takes the position of being morally allowable is what he calls uh, natural passive euthanasia. And that goes to the situation where somebody is being artificially kept alive through the use of, um, you know, artificial organs or, uh, you know, life support. And his argument is that it uh, that is allowable uh, to you know remove sort of the unnatural elements that are keeping that person alive and allowing them to die. That's in contrast to active euthanasia, which is you know withholding life-sustaining uh, materials, food, water, to you know hasten death or to bring or to bring death about. He's not advocating for that. So passive, natural passive euthanasia is. Um, allowing somebody to die naturally without the intervention of medical science in terms of life support and other things. Yeah. I mean, my wife's grandmother went through this when she got cancer. She was already in her eighties, might, might've been late eighties, early nineties. She was, she was getting up there and she was diagnosed with, I believe it was bone cancer. And it was the kind of thing where, it was, you know, the chance of the treatment curing her was very, very low. And in all likelihood, she'd be like so many others who goes through treatment and it would just cause a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. It would cause her to lose a lot of physical abilities and possibly even some mental abilities, but it would prolong her life for maybe months or a year or two. And she decided, well, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just let the disease take its course and then just die and maybe live a year less or however many months less, but have full command of my faculties and be able to do what I want to do. And then she, she did take pain medication once it got to be very painful towards the end. And, you know, I mean, I think that's like a great example of, the natural passive like she she's not using modern medicine to prolong her life did, did she commit suicide some people might say so they might be like well you you deny treatment so you're just trying to kill yourself but in, in, i always feel like when it comes to treatment that that's artificial that's optional it's not a foregone conclusion i know that in our society it's like well keep somebody alive as long as you possibly can no matter what quality of life they have well, that's, that's not necessarily the best for people either, right? So I feel like there's a lot of range here. And probably the best thing to do is to have a death plan where, and, and there are, and this is a document you can write up where you can say, well, this is, I, I wouldn't want to be kept alive if this was the quality of life. And then it's mm-hmm. you talking about yourself rather than forcing somebody else, a loved one to make that decision for you, which is extremely difficult. Yeah, a living will. It's good a good kind of foresight thing you can do and your loved ones are probably going to be under um, enough stress and enough emotional pain during that time they don't want the burden of responsibility at that point as well Um, so I think having a living will and having it accessible and discussing your plans with your family members so they know exactly what you want and you know a variety of cases um, is definitely the most loving thing to do I agree with Geisler on this point but I diverge a bit semantically I wouldn't call allowing yourself to die without the intervention of modern medicine and euthanasia, I would just call it dying. You're just dying. You're not committing suicide. You're not committing euthanasia. Your body has unfortunately contracted some sort of terminal illness. There's not a lot of hope for you. And 
a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, people died of these things and it wasn't suicide back then. The only thing that's changed is medical science. And I think if it's your choice that as in the case of your wife's grandmother to die naturally, I think it's dying naturally. I don't think it's euthanasia and I don't think it's suicide. So you're just choosing to, to go. Okay. Well, so let's draw our thoughts to a close here. What are, what are some summary statements that we would be comfortable as Christians saying as far as what is allowed and what is not allowed when it comes to the subject of euthanasia. I mean, I think we can all agree that taking a pill of some sort of poison, whether self-administered or administered through an IV by someone else, is crossing the line. Yeah, because you're, mm-hmm. you're supplanting God's sovereignty over life and replacing it with your own. Right. That's unequivocally and unnaturally pursuing death. I would also reinforce the point that if you're nearing the end of your life and it's a terminal thing, I think God can use you in a lot of ways that he can't use a normal, healthy, standard Mm -hmm. Christian. And you should explore that possibility and that option uh, to the best of your ability. Just going back to the word euthanasia and the, and the meaning behind it, um, that this is a good death. I mean, that's stating the worldview right there um, that a lot of people would have. I think from the Christian perspective, to look at the idea of a good death, leave the sovereignty in the hands of God, die in a way um, that glorifies him and, and you know place kingdom work and honoring God's sovereignty above everything else in your life, um, including your own comfort. That's a good death. Let me also just say that, you know, we're, we're talking about this whole thing in the abstract. If you're listening and you've been through this situation where a loved one has been terminally ill and you're by their bedside and you see the hurt that it's causing them and the hurt that it's causing you, I mean, that's a terrible thing to go through and to sort of endure. I would just say that, you know, with this discussion here, we're, we're taking it from a, there's a whole human element of, you know, the family and everything that is involved with this type of situation that is incredibly hard. And we don't want to discount that at all. And I would hope that with everything that we're saying here, I would be able to adhere to these guidelines that we're talking about here. But that's the advantage of this podcast right here and right now, for those of us who are not in the midst of it, because when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to think it through. When there's no crisis looming, there's uh, that that's a good time to think about these issues. I mean, the way that people are dying more and more today is in hospital beds rather than out digging a ditch on the farm or fighting a war with a sword, right? Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, more and more of us are going to face these kinds of questions and issues and be able to prolong our lives artificially. And, and some of us will choose to do that and some of us won't. But this other issue of chronic pain and what to do with it is something that is, is really helpful to address now, even before it comes up. As you said, Sean, it's very hard to sort of parse these things because you're dealing with everything else. Right. You're not going to be able to think rationally if you don't already have a settled position on this because your heart is in your, in your throat and you're not able to think, certainly not problem solving or creatively when you're in a crisis situation. Yeah. If you have been in the situation, we'd like to hear your story and how our conversation sort of uh, impacted you and what you thought about it. Because as we said, none of us have been in the situation. And if you have and you have something to contribute, uh, we'd definitely love to hear from you. And that goes for any episode that, that we air. Right. And we're not, we're not the Pope speaking ex-cathedra, so... <laughs> no one knows what that means, Sean. 
well, <laughs> that means that we are not infallible. That means, we, in other words, we could be wrong. And mm-hmm. because we recognize we could be wrong on this or other issues, it would be great if you have thought about this and that you, you know, have a counter case to make that you would log on to restitutio.org and find this episode and drop a comment so that we can learn from you as well. Because, I mean, let's face it, this is an issue that has kind of crept up on us in the modern age. And it's not something that I can turn to ancient authorities and say, oh, this is what Christians have been saying all along. I mean, you could do that with abortion but you and, and suicide, but you can't do it with this one because this this is just... Yeah. The way in which people's lives are able to be prolonged with artificial life support and this sort of thing is is a modern issue. So please, uh, we do uh, we, we would love to have your feedback if, if you have something to say or something to contribute or even if it's contrary to what we've said here because we, we really are just trying to be Bereans here and search the scriptures and be able to think through these these difficult issues. Thank you so much, guys. We love you very much. We recognize this has been a difficult issue and um, we've tried to approach it from the most compassionate perspective um, as well as being as thoroughly biblical as we can. We love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Fitzy D out. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to that. Stay tuned for next week and our next installment in this series as we discuss capital punishment. Before closing out, though, I wanted to share two quick comments that came in on our last episode, Offscript episode 35, Killing Yourself, A Christian View of Suicide. Miranda wrote, Many people commit suicide because there is no one to reach out to or because they have reached out to the wrong people. Perhaps that situation is hard for many to understand who are surrounded by family and friends, which is not a luxury everyone has. And as Christians, this is something we should consider. It is true, of course, that for Christians, many times suicide has been prevented because of the Bible, though it has not always been the case, as we know. How can we think of ways to prevent us from falling into despair? When we wake up in the morning and wonder how we are going to get through the day, we can think about how Christ died for us so that we can live forever. Jesus suffered and died so that we can live. And so we have a Christian responsibility to live now and in the age to come. The words of Jesus can make us strong, John 6.63. We must listen to him. Thank you, Miranda. Very encouraging words there. I appreciate that. And then also John writes, I had suicidal thoughts growing up. I've thought more lately about ending it. I will never, ever do it, however. One of the things that would prevent that is the love for those around me. Also, as one of you said in the podcast, it goes against what God promised. I mean, if we believe eternal life really means that, then certainly that is what we hope for. However, I think a lot of people who want to commit suicide really do want life and want a better one. And some feel that they may go to the afterlife and leave behind the troubles that are plaguing them now. Some of them just want suffering to end, and that's understandable. It says of wisdom that all who hate it love death, and certainly these people who want death don't know what they want for themselves. He goes on to talk about Elijah and Jonah, two examples that we didn't include in the episode of men who really asked God to end their lives for them. And it's interesting, though, uh, as John points out, that God did not give in to that desire uh, for either Elijah or Jonah. 
And uh, then he concludes by listing out three reasons not to commit suicide, including threat of punishment, hope of a better life in the future, and sparing family and friends from suffering. John, thank you so much for writing in and sharing your own your own feelings about this subject. As we said in the episode, you are made in the image of God. God cares about you, and he will bring you through the times of suffering that you go through. Some of us have harder lives than others. Uh, some of us are afflicted with physical pain. Some of us have broken relationships. Some of us suffer from alienation where family members won't talk to us or where we are in poverty or in sickness. There, there are so many different kinds of problems in our broken world, but through it all, as Rose pointed out in the episode, we have an opportunity to be a witness to those around us. It, when somebody looks at your life and you're prospering and you have lots of money and you're driving a fancy new car and you've just had your teeth whitened and the sky is blue and the birds are chirping and you have a smile on your face, nobody says to themselves, oh, wow, he must be a Christian. <laughs> However, if you're going through suffering, and especially if somebody else is going through that same suffering and they know what it's like, and yet you still maintain a graceful disposition, then that really does testify to others that something else is going on in your heart, and that something else is God's grace shining through you. And I think that's just really a powerful reason to see some benefit in the suffering that we do face and to kind of take advantage of that in sharing with others. But uh, thanks so much for writing in, Miranda and John. If anybody else would like to add their thoughts to our episode on suicide, come on to Offscript episode 35, Killing Yourself, A Christian View of Suicide, and leave your comment there. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next week as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.